Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. You know, to be honest, actually, the, the turnout's better than I anticipated. Yeah, I think the turnout actually is better. A lot of you got sprung. Some other people, I guess, you know, they, whatever with their clocks, they forgot to turn them ahead. Maybe, who knows, too tired as... As Pastor Linda alluded to before, some people from the marriage retreat yesterday, I guess they're exhausted. All right, it was a long weekend. You're tired too. Yeah. Well, good morning. Uh, Originally, Pastor Tom was going to be speaking on on this Sunday. He had a scheduling conflict, so we worked it out during the week. Uh, I pulled something out of text that I've been in for a while that I was planning on down the road using in a series. I didn't know what series I would use it in, but it was a story that really meant a lot to me. It was a story I've never heard a sermon on before. And uh, I decided to preach that today, and next week I have something special. Uh, Palm Sunday is always my favorite Sunday of the year to preach. Uh, It's not Easter, I love Christmas, but it's Palm Sunday. So I have something special in store, and then Easter is a single sermon. We will not have a series until post-Easter. So just to give you an idea of of the layout of of where we're going in terms of our, our sermons. And most of you are like, I really didn't need to know all that information. Just give me a message. Well... Isn't it great that this is the day that the Lord has made? Let us rejoice and be glad in it, right? Today is the day. Not yesterday, not tomorrow. Today is the day, the day that you woke up, right? And you're probably a little more tired today than you were maybe last weekend or the last couple of days. You woke up and you came here. You came here to church this morning. I commend you on that. And Lord, so I ask, Lord, I ask that everybody in here Father, it wasn't easy. I'm sure there were many obstacles, but I ask you to bless all of us. Father, I ask that you would give us a, a timely word. Use your speaker, Father, my, and my feeble words, Lord. I've given you all that I have, Lord, and I just ask that you would burn this message out, Lord. You would burn it out, Father. Invade this place with your presence and your power. May your presence be so rich in this place. Lord, do something in our midst. A Sunday that many people said, "May I'm just going to go to church. This is what I do on Sunday. Father, exceed our expectations, Lord. Lord, you love to exceed our expectations. Lord, break out of the box of what we think you can do and who you are. Father, show off your glory and your power in this story. Father, change us, rearrange us. Don't let us leave this place the same. By the power of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. A century ago, there was a band of brave souls, missionaries. They were known as one-way missionaries. And what was interesting about these missionaries is they had one-way tickets. One-way tickets. So there they were. They would leave a port. They would be at a port. They would get on these boats. And they were heading off. And their loved ones and their friends were there to see them depart. Imagine you saw, this is your loved one, somebody, and you're saying, I'm I'm never going to see them again. And what was wild, fascinating, these missionaries put all of their belongings, not in suitcases, but in coffins. It really happened, real history. They put all of their, their few earthly belongings, they put in these coffins, and they traveled to places that many people said, I would never, ever want to go. Let me tell you about one of them. Here's a, a picture. This is A.W. Milne. And A.W. Milne uh, went to the South Pacific, the New Hebrides Islands. A place that, let me tell you, a place that all of the missionaries prior to him going, all of his predecessors that went to this one specific tribe were all executed. Every single one of them. But what was wild about Milne is Milne already died to self. You see, Milne wasn't afraid. He had nothing to lose and everything to gain. And there he was on that boat. And there he was journeying to a place he had never been before. Well, guess what happened when he arrived there? The Lord did such a mighty work through this man. He ministered to these people for 35 years. 35 years. When he died, they bestowed upon him the ultimate honor in this tribe. They buried his body in the middle of the village. And this is his epitaph. This is what they inscribed on his tombstone. They said, when he came, there was no light. 
when he left, there was no darkness. Wow. I tell you that story this morning, A, because it's really true. It's Christian history. But B, I'm also telling you that story, and this is the crux of my message. Where has the notion or the idea creeped into the church that we get saved and we're just supposed to live this safe kind of life? That Jesus died for us, yeah, and the remission of our sins, and we know we're going one day, we have fire insurance, we know about our eternal destinies, but, but that he came to just make us safe. Here's your little safe life, be safe, be a Christian, just go to church, but don't really risk, don't step out of the boat, just keep things really safe. And where, friends, where has that really creeped into the church? Because I think it's really, it's everywhere. That we, what, are we just supposed to arrive safely at death? Is that the goal of us as for Christians? Just arrive safely at death. Just get there. We know where we're going. Just kind of go through life and get there. All about safety and comfort. You know, and I know, I preach a lot of the same. This theme comes up time and time again. I don't know, it's something that really resonates with me in the culture that we live in. You know, and I'm even there this uh, Friday I'm with Jameson, and I took him to safety swim. How many of you took your kids there, right, for swimming lessons? Kid, like, you know, it's still, like, he's six years old, still a challenge, right, getting him in the water. I don't want to go to swimming lessons, right? I don't want to go. You finally get the kid to swimming lessons, and then you get him in the water, and then he's smiling me after after he's done because he doesn't want to get out, right? But there I am sitting there, and the, the kids can't see you. And, I, and it just kind of hit me, given the sermon I was preaching today. And I thought it was wild, because there we are, all the parents, and we're there, and we're watching these kids, and there are the instructors, and they have all these different apparatus, all these like, little things that they use to try to help the kids. And I said, I see a parallel to our spiritual lives, that so many of us are still holding on to things. We're holding on to this item. We just want to be really safe. And we, want to, we don't really want to risk. And we want to stay that way. We don't really want to grow in our faith. Well, friends, it's time for us to realize Jesus came to make us dangerous. Jesus Christ came not just to forgive us of our sins. He came to make us dangerous. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, right? Matthew, I love that I can turn this way again. And there is a, a picture for me. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Did you hear that? Wake up, church. The violent take it by force. They don't take it by sitting in a chair and being passive. They don't take it by sitting home with a remote control in their hands. We don't take it by being complacent. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. There's a violence that should be inside of us, a revolution that should be inside of us in our prayer lives, in how we serve everything that we do when we go to our jobs. There should be a violence that really people see in our lives. And I also thought about it too. I said, we were at the marriage seminar, Megan and I. And I can't tell you what that did for us. A start. I said, you know what? It's kind of like a rebirth. I almost feel like I just got married again. By the way, I didn't have my ring. I have my ring on today, right? A lot of times when I go to the gym, I leave my ring in the car or whatever. She's like, where's your, we're doing something like, we're doing our vows, right? At the end of the thing. I didn't even have my ring. I didn't have my ring. Terrible, right? But I'm sitting there at the marriage seminar and, and, and even last night, we went out last night. You have to put your marriage first. And those people, listen, I know many of you probably, if you didn't come and you had really good things, to, you know, you had things going, I get it, you had work, you had some other obligation, I totally understand that. But if you didn't, I worry about you. Pastor Linda worries about you. Pastor Joe worries about you. Your marriage has to be first. And we went out, we went last night, we went out to dinner last night and we were embarrassed because we just sat there and cried. And we looked at each other and there were things inside of me that I said, man, I've not been the husband God has called me to be. Do you understand? I want to be dangerous. I want to be an amazing husband. I don't want to be a good husband. I want to be an amazing husband. I don't want to be a good father. I want to be an amazing father. 
I don't want to be a good preacher. I want to be an amazing preacher. I want to be dangerous. And you know what? I woke up this morning, and it was as if I really heard God. You know, sometimes people say they hear the voice of God all the time. I don't hear the audible voice of God. God does speak. But I heard in my spirit this morning, you are dangerous. You are dangerous. You know what he said to Peter? Hey, listen, Peter, Peter. I'm going to, you're the rock. I'm going to build my church on this rock, on you right here. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you know what that means? That means if you have a gate around something, that means you are trying to keep people out. That means the enemy is trying to keep people out. That means that we as Christians so often, we are in a prevent defense. We're playing half-court defense, and Jesus is calling us to be all in and to go all out for the all in all. And he's saying, you are to be the ones that go and take hell. You are to invade the darkness. Where to invade? Are you with me yet today? I came here to preach. Am I playing offense in my marriage or am I playing prevent defense and putting romance on the side? Am I just collecting a check when I go to work? Or am I really being a steward of the abilities that God has given me? I go into work and I know I am dangerous. I know and believe that because of the life that lives inside of me. When I get up in front of a classroom in a public high school, I know I am dangerous. When you go to work and you're with your colleagues and whatever you do, the people you come in contact with, the the devil doesn't want you to know that you're dangerous. He has told the church a lie that your life is meaningless. Whatever you're doing, that you can't make a difference. I'm here to tell you this morning, no, he's wrong. Those are the lies from the pit of hell. And the demons, they cringe and they worry when there are people and they strategize and they don't know what to do when they see Christians who believe that they can make things happen for the kingdom of God. We are to be change. We are to be salt and light everywhere we go. We had to bring it to the enemy. No more. Prevent defense. I'm done with the prevent defense. Aren't you done getting your head kicked in? Aren't you done listening to the lies of the enemy as he invades time and time again? Aren't you done waking up in the middle of the night and worrying about your kids and worrying about your marriage and worrying about your finances, worrying about your mortgage? Aren't you done? I love what Mickey says to Rocky, and I've shared this before, but I love it. When he says to him, and Rocky says, you know what? He says, Rock, the worst thing that could happen to a fighter is you get civilized. You get civilized, Rock. Civilized. The worst thing that can happen to a Christian is we become civilized and passive. You know, this morning, I think, can be a defining moment. I hardly ever, I don't talk this way. This, could be a, this kind of message can be a defining moment for somebody in this room. Because you have a choice to make when you leave, and you'll understand by the end of the message. You have a choice to make, and we have choices all the time. Every single day, there are choices that we have to make. And this is a choice. Whom are you going to follow? And are you going to live? The culture tells us, live ease, comfort, security. Or are we going to be people that risk? God didn't call us. This is not some, it's not about safety, right? We don't become Christians and everything's easy too. It's hard. I looked at my wife last night and she shared her heart and I said to myself, this Christian thing is not easy. God, you know what? This isn't easy. I don't know why this happened, but I know you're good. I know all things work out for good. I don't understand things, but in the totality of life, I understand and know and believe you indeed are good. Do you believe that? With that in mind, can we turn to a story now this morning in the Bible? 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to start in verses 15 and 16. Now, as you're turning there, let me just give you a little bit of the background. This is the story of Elijah the prophet and the calling of his apprentice, Elisha. Elijah the prophet and Elisha. Now, I was thinking about it in terms of Fantasy football, okay? So try to understand this. Even if you hate football, you you should get this. Now, these guys, if there were like, I was thinking about like an app or a game. You know like those games they have like Clash of Clans and all these other games? 
there should be a game. Don't steal my idea. You promise me you're not going to steal my idea because I'm going to make a lot of money off this. I'll donate everything to the church. I don't want any of the money. But what we should have is a game where they like have all the prophets from like the Old Testament, right? How sick would it be if you had all the prophets and they have like different powers and there's like different things you can do? If there was a fantasy draft, right? Okay. This is like 587 BC when this guy Elisha is called, all right? With the first pick in the 587 BC draft, right? I'm picking Elisha. I'm picking this guy. Raises somebody from the dead, right? Uh, parts the Jordan River. He, uh, how about the, the floating axe, the iron axe head in the, in the water he makes float? Those are like bonus fantasy points. How does one make that happen? Are you kidding me? The first guy, Elijah, does 14 miracles. His apprentice, he does 28 miracles that are recorded in the Bible. These are bad dudes. How many of you are with me on that, right? You're not allowed to write. We should probably take what I just said those last few minutes and probably, I don't know, um, retract them or just get rid of them. I'm worried somebody's going to steal my idea. I'm really worried that one of you are going to leave with my idea. I saw your faces. You're like, I never thought of that. It's a brilliant idea. Well, here we are in the beginning of the story. Let me give it to you. It's a wonderful story. All right, we're starting in 15 and 16. And the Lord said to him, go return to your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And you're going, wait, what's going on? I should give you a little more background. I got, a, I got into the fantasy thing. Elijah the prophet, the older prophet, has just, let me tell you what has just happened to him. He has just taken on the prophets of Baal and Asherah. He has just went toe-to-toe with King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And Queen Jezebel has said in the beginning of the chapter, in the beginning of chapter 19, that in this day tomorrow, I'm going to snuff you out, Elijah. Elijah has been under incredible duress, incredible pressure. And here is this guy, he goes on the run. And he winds up, he's under a broom tree for a little while. An angel of the Lord comes. What does the angel of the Lord do? Of course, he gives him angel food cake and he gives him some water, right? And he's there and he helps him rest and recuperate. He goes from there and then he eventually goes into a cave. And God's like, Elijah, what are you doing here? A theophany. God, what are you doing here, Elijah? He comes out of the cave. And you, some of you know the story. There's a great mighty wind and he's not in the great mighty wind. And there's an earthquake and God's not in the earthquake. And then there's a fire and God's not in the fire. And then there's a... And God is in the still small voice. And God says, here's what you're going to do. You have some, you know, I'm not done with you yet. I have some things for you to do and you're going to anoint some people. And one of those people is this guy, Elisha. All right, does that make sense now? If you don't know the story, you're up to speed. Then the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mahola, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. Pretty wild. Now, let me say the first thing, since you wouldn't know this, to give you a little context. Abel Mahola was the breadbasket of the Jordan River Valley. It's the breadbasket, okay? Now, moving on to the next two verses there. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the twelfth. Then Elisha passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again. For what have I done to you? Wait till we get to that. So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. This is our story today. And this place, Abel Medola, it means in English, it's the meadow of dancing. In Hebrew, in English for us, it means the meadow of, of dancing. And here is this man, and the first thing I want to show you from the text is, if you look in the beginning here, so he departed from there, and he finds Elisha, he's plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. Now, I love this because the average family would have had, you were lucky if you had one pair of oxen. Okay? One pair. You were lucky if you had one. Here is a man that has 12 pair of oxen. He's plowing. And where is he? He is in the back, which means that he is the supervisor. He is the CEO of Elijah Farms Incorporated. This man is, has affluence. This man has influence. 
You have to see that in the story. This isn't just some normal guy. This is a guy that has a lot going for him. He has a life that is very comfortable. He has all of his needs are absolutely met. Everything he could possibly want, he has. So there he is, and he's the supervisor of this. And I love the next part too. It says, when Elisha came up to him, what did he do? When Elisha came up to him, he took his cloak. Go to the next slide. Turn back from him. No, I'm sorry. Oops, there. Where is it? Uh, passed by him, threw his mantle on him. There it is, in 19. Then Elisha passed by him and threw his mantle on him. I want you to think about this. How gross do you think this guy's mantle was? Think about it. He has just slaughtered hundreds of prophets. He has been out in the sun for days. That thing would have been gross. Now, you're talking to somebody that would have had a real hard time if somebody took their mantle that had blood all over it. God only knows what else is on it, but it is absolutely filthy. Why am I telling you that? I'm telling you that because Elijah is saying to Elisha by throwing his mantle on him, not only is he saying, and every scholar will tell you this, he's saying to him, you are going to be a prophet. I'm calling you to be a prophet. But number two, by putting the dirty mantle on him, he's saying, look, the life that you knew before, I'm calling you out of that life. I'm calling you out of this life of comfort and ease and the nice clothes that you have on and you're chilling when you're hanging out in the oxen and you're listening to your music. There's no God like Jehovah. There's no God like Jehovah. Hey, what's up, man? What? what, what?" And then he throws his mantle on him. He's like, that life that you knew is over. I'm calling you to something new. I'm calling you to to, to experience your destiny. So here are these two men, the older prophet, and he's calling the younger prophet, and he's saying, look, it's time, everything, the status that you have, the world that you know, this could change for you, but it's a choice. It's a choice. And don't you love what Elisha does? You have to see this too. This is easy to miss. He burns all of the plows. He does not donate the plows, right, to the, uh, I don't know, the Jewish goodwill or Habitat for Humanity, whatever they would have. You would think he would have donated it maybe to a friend, another family member. He burns all of his plows, all 12 of them. Do you know how much money that would have been? Doesn't donate them, burns them. He then takes all of the animals and says, hey, let's, let's kill all the animals and have an incredible feast. Scholars say this would have been greater than a wedding. This would have been an amazing feast. And everyone there would have been like, what's the deal with his benevolence? Why is he doing this? You didn't, in, the, in this ancient culture, you didn't eat meat like this. This was so rare. Here is a man that is saying, I'm not turning back. There is no looking back. There's only one way to go, and it's forward. Because God has called me. There was a call that was on his life, and it didn't make any sense. But he said, hey, look, that's the only way I can do it. I can stay here in the dancing meadow, and everything can be great, and I can have a lot of comfort and ease, but I'm going to go. Reminds me of a story. In 1904, the face that you see before you, his name is, was William Borden. In 1904, William Borden graduated from Chicago High School. He was an heir to the Borden Dairy Estate. When he graduated high school, he was already a millionaire. When he graduated high school, he's already a millionaire. And here is this young man as a graduation present from high school. His parents say, we're sending you on a trip around the world. Around the world. There he goes, he's in Europe, he's in Asia, he sees everything, and something happens, there was a call, there was something, a seed was planted in this man's heart, because he said to himself, I see the plight of the poor and the marginalized, and I want to do something about that. When he came back from that, he wrote in his Bible two words, two words, he wrote, no reserves, no reserves. He went on to Yale, went to Yale College, right? He studied there at Yale. He studied, he, four years he stayed there. And the interesting part of his time at Yale is when he first went there, he started a Bible study. As a freshman, he had a couple of kids come from his dorm. Then other kids heard about it from the campus. By the time Borden graduated from Yale, over 1,000 of the 1,300 students at Yale were going to the Bible studies. Did you hear what I said? Did you forget I shared a message a while ago about the Christian roots of our nation and how many of the colleges and universities were started were started by Christians. It's not that way now, but that's the way it was. So here is this guy Borden and he eventually graduated from college there. And you know what he wrote there? He wrote two more words in his Bible, no retreats. He left college. He had offers in the business world, could have had a high power business job, could have made a lot of money. 
He turned all of that down. This man that is an heir to this estate, has millions of dollars, has a life of ease and comfort. And he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to Egypt. I'm going to study Arabic because eventually I want to go to China and I want to work with the people there that are Muslim and I want to bring the gospel to them. Are you kidding me? So Borden left, early 1900s. He goes over to Egypt. Three months after he arrives there, only three months after, he contracts spinal meningitis. Right before he died, he said two words, he wrote two words in his Bible, no regrets, no regrets. Do you want to know, this is, you know, this is, this is what's on his tombstone, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. There's no explanation for a life like this. There's no explanation that somebody would give up what the world says is important and you should hold dear to. Here's a man that says, I'm all in and I'm going all out for the all in all. He didn't stop. Nothing stopped him. There it is. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Went all out for what God had in store for him. You know how hard it was when we were in Israel this past summer? Because I knew there was an extension that was going to Egypt. And I was like, because I knew this story. And I said, only 60 yards away from where his tombstone is, is Oswald Chambers' tombstone. Some amazing Christians, friends. Amazing people that laid their lives down. Ordinary people just like us, but they were all in. And they said, you know what? I'm going to sell out. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And here is in this story, we see a man, Elijah. And Elisha says, I am going to give up my safety. I'm going to become vulnerable. You see, there was an inner revolution that was working inside of his heart. There was a revolution that was working inside of his heart. And every single one of us, we all have a call in our life. Every single one of us in here, we all have a call. Every one of us as Christians. The problem is when you look in the world, and you can I mean, see this everywhere, Hollywood, everywhere you want to look, People that have no call on their lives are shells. They're just moving around. And you know what? When you have no call in your life, that means that everything is kind of meaningless and you can do whatever the heck you want because you don't know what your real purpose is. There is a creator, friends, that created every single one of us with a real purpose in mind. There was a cre- every one of us was created to do something, to be something and to do something. And here is this man, Elisha, in the story And here he is, and he didn't even know he was empty. Friends, when you read this text, did he know he was empty? As he's plowing every single day, he's not moping around. But understand, there was a call that was on his life. And when the call came, he didn't know it. But when God used the older prophet to come in and call him, he answered the bell. He answered the bell. Friends, are we going to answer the bell? Have you answered the bell? Because it's coming, and he calls his name. And I, you know, th- this is another part of the story that that's, I love. If you look at verse 20, Elijah throws the cloak on him. But what does it say in verse 20? It says, Elisha left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Why would he do that? Why did he do that? That means, look, you've got to follow this. This means Elijah the prophet came up, threw the cloak on him, didn't even say anything. Right? It's easy to miss this. Didn't say anything. It just kind of walks away. And then here's Elisha going, what? He runs after the prophet, and he says, hey, he knows who he is. I mean, trust me, his fame, his popularity, people knew who he was. But he runs after him, can I, can I, can I just go back and kiss my parents goodbye? And then what is his response? Elisha says to him, what have I done to you? What have I done to you? It doesn't make any sense, right? If you see that, it doesn't really make any sense. You know what he's saying to him? Why are you asking me? You weren't my choice. I didn't call you. God called you. This is between you and God. If I was going to pick somebody, I probably wouldn't have picked you. That's what he's saying. No, you have to see. That's exactly what is going on here in the story. There is a call, and it's between you and God. It's between me and God. And we have to find out what that is. And there are two parts to it. All right, to go a little bit deeper. We are called to become something, and then we are called to do something. Did you get that? We are called to be something, to be conformed into the image of Christ. Every single one of us in here, you become a Christian, we're called to become disciples, to be conformed into the image of Christ. We're called to be crucified with Christ. 
I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but he that lives in me in the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith, the Son of God who died and gave up his life for me. We are crucified. We are to become something. And then over here is doing something. But you can't do something, and everybody wants to know, and this kind of ties into two weeks ago when I ended the Esther series. Everybody wants to know, what's my calling? What's my purpose? And the problem is, you can't really find out, or it takes a long time to find out what you're supposed to do, because many times we're not willing to go all in. We have conditions. Jesus, I'll follow you until it, ah, it gets uncomfortable. I don't, oh, it's cold. That hurts. Don't do that. We want enough of Jesus. Come on, can I be honest? We want enough of Jesus just to, like, to be bored. Right? Just enough. And then we're, we wonder why we're bored all the time. We wonder why we're bored. Danish philosopher, and this is, this, is, this is interesting, Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, this is what he said. He said he believed boredom was the root of all evil. In other words, boredom isn't boring. It's evil. It's bad. It's a sin. We wonder why. We wonder why we are so bored as Christians. We come to church and I came, I'm singing some songs, man, listen to your message, right? But we wonder why we're bored. It's because we haven't gone all in. We haven't surrendered. We have not surrendered our lives and our hearts to him. Come on, let's be honest. And then we wonder again when we're trying to find out what I'm supposed to do. We wonder why we, we, we can't figure that out. It's because we have not gone totally in. Now, you don't have to clap for that. The, I'm kidding. The, 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 call, the call to doing is completely unique. The call to being is for everyone. But the call to doing, you have to find out what that is, right? You have to find out what that is. So here is, a, here is Elisha, and by the way, he becomes, I just kind of thought this was funny, and maybe I'm, I'm digressing a little bit, but I thought it was funny when you look at this. He's an apprentice for Elisha for uh, almost 20 years, and then he's a prophet for like a little bit over 30 years. So here is this guy. Can you imagine his parents? I was just thinking about his parents. They don't say anything in the story about his parents. Kissed his parents goodbye. We don't really know what their reaction was, but imagine they're at a party, and they're kind of hanging out, and they're talking to friends. They're like, hey, what's your son doing now? You know, it's some years down the road. Hey, listen, he's uh, second in line. He's going to be the chief priest one day. And then somebody else is like, yeah, my son's the captain of the guard. And then you have Elisha's parents. They're like, like how old's uh, Elisha now? Uh, he's, um, he's 35. What's he doing with himself? Uh, he, uh, he makes coffee and he runs errands for, uh, for the, the prophet Elijah. That's kind of what he does. Can you imagine what that would have been like for his parents? For almost 20 years, he's being mentored by this guy. He is watching everything he does. He is following in his footsteps. He is becoming a disciple of this prophet. He wants to become like him. He wants to do everything that he does. In a sense, that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be following the master. We are supposed to be disciples. We're supposed to be walking in the dust of the rabbi. But we don't because we live in a world, hey, listen, I'm first on the list. We live in a world, you may say, man, that's really challenging to be all in. Yes, he wants to be enthroned on the heart, our, our hearts, in our lives. And there are so many things that compete with him for that place in our lives. You know, uh, over 100 years ago, an English rev uh, revivalist issued a, a holy dare that would change a life, that would change a city, and that would change a generation. And some of you may have heard this before, but you probably didn't know who said it. You thought you knew who said it, but you didn't. You, you were wrong, all right? Here, and you've seen this probably. The man's name is Henry Varley, and he said, the world has yet to see what God will do with and for and through and in and by the man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. The world has yet to see. Do you know who this man Varley had a conversation with? D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody, you may not know much about him, but in the late 1800s, his sermons contributed to a spiritual awakening. A spiritual awakening. And you look today, his, his legacy is indelibly imprinted on the souls of millions of people. There is Moody College and Moody, Moody Bible Institute. All these, the Moody, all these different things that came about. Moody Publishers. I just wrote down a couple. This man's passion, and he said, the, you know, he looked at it and said, why can't I, when he heard this guy Varley say this in a conversation, he said, why can't I be that man that is wholly consecrated? Why can't I be that guy? And you know what bothers me, though, is that that's a word, right? That word consecration, that is a being word. Can I tell you what it's not? 
Can I tell you what consecration is not? Consecration is not, I'm going to fast during Lent. I'm going to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to go to a hill house. I'm going to run a hill house. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to go on a mission trip. You pick whatever the heck you want. That's not what consecration is. Those are, listen to me, those are all wonderful things to do. Wonderful things to do, but there is a huge difference. Consecration is not those things. Consecration is being all in. It's giving up control. It's surrender, and we don't hear that a lot. When you turn on the TV set, you don't hear many preachers talk about surrender. They talk about how you can get your best life now and how by thinking and positive... You know, no, you have to surrender. There is a dying to self. And it's sometimes, you know what? It's not what you want. It's what he wants. And his call. I don't want that to be my call. And my, I don't want that to be... Some, no. Once we realize there is a being first, we are to be something. And then, and then when we surrender, then he says, all right, I'm going to show you the call in your life and it's going to unravel. What about what he does with Peter, right? What he does with Peter. He cha- you were Simon. Now you're going to be Peter. What does Peter mean? You know what Peter means? Stubborn rock. What happened to Peter? He had foot and mouth disease. Always putting his foot in his mouth. Always getting in trouble, Right? Here is Peter, his name was changed, and here is Peter, for a long time, he's trying to figure out what he's supposed to do. It unraveled with time, it unraveled, and he made mistake after mistake, and I don't know if you can relate to Peter, but I sure can. He was imperfect, but he went all in and all out for the all in all. He's asking for nothing less than full devotion, full commitment Can I show you the end of the story now? Here's the end of the story of Elisha and Elijah. In 2 Kings chapter 2, starting in verse 1 and 2, and it came to pass. This is the end. Elijah is leaving. Elisha is going to take over. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elisha went to Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up and struck the water. And it was divided this way and that so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. So here it is, the end. Elisha would not die. He's going to be taken up in this world. And there's so much that's after this, just way too much with the chariots and the symbolism, what it really means. But here is Elijah, and he's going to be taken up. When he says there, I want a double portion, he's not saying although he does perform 28 miracles, God uses him, although he does double Elijah's miracles, 28 to 14, right? That's not what he's asking for here. He's asking, he's saying, I want what you have. I want to be your successor. I have followed you all these years. I'm asking that your mantle and your anointing be transferred to me. Can I tell you here today? that anointing is transgenerational? Can I tell you I stand here today because these two people stood in the gap and they started a church years ago? Can I tell you today that one of my kids is going to do what I'm going to do and I'm praying for it every day since what happened a couple of weeks ago and I'm seeing things happen? Can I tell you as parents that there is an anointing that is on your life that you have to pass the baton to your kids and they're going to pass it to their kids? It has to go from one generation to the next and a generation has passed the anointing to us and it's time for us to pick it up and run with it. You know the Olympics, like the Olympics, and they pass the baton, and when they light that flame, and everybody's moving, and everybody's a part of it, there comes a time, and let me tell you, in the church here, our generation, I'm 42 years old, even if you're younger, listen, it's time for us to carry the mantle. It's time for us to take, like yesterday, our marriages, take it seriously. Your marriage is so good, you don't need to come here? Wow. I'm scared for you. I'm scared for you. The devil wants to take us out. He doesn't want the baton passed. And let me tell you how special it is. Maybe we're biased because, but you go to a lot of churches, you see so many people that are just in one age group. 
We have so many young people in this church. Parents, God is doing something and wants to continue doing something here in our midst. It's get off the sidelines, get in the game. He's looking for an unconditional surrender. He's looking for everybody to to help out. Every part of the body contributes. Every part. So we have a choice. We can live our entire lives in the dancing meadows. We can live here and be comfortable. We can be comfortable. You can be really comfortable in what you're doing. But I have to imagine God's calling you to take some risks. And you know what? Don't, listen, don't leave here and go, man, I'm, gonna, I'm not saying go quit your job tomorrow. Wisdom is found in a multitude of counselors. You should be talking to other people. Don't just make decisions. I, I can't stand, we say, I can't stand when people make decisions and they don't talk to other people. Don't fly solo and make stupid decisions. I am saying, though, God is probably calling you out of your comfort zone. It, it, it gets so, we're so comfortable. God is calling us out. He's calling us to take risks. He's calling us ahead. May I finish with one last story for you? Okay. And the story is about a man named Joshua Chamberlain. How many of you heard the name before, Joshua Chamberlain? A couple of you. Well, Joshua Chamberlain was a student of theology. He was an English professor, but he was not a soldier. But when the call came in Chamberlain's life, he answered. He climbed the ranks and became the colonel of the 20th Maine Volunteer Infantry Regiment. And he did a a magnificent job, and he led his 300 troops. Well, there was a poignant moment in his life, a defining moment for Chamberlain, a decision that he had to make. You see, on July 2nd, 1863, he and his 300 soldier regiment were all that stood between the Confederate Army. He's a Union officer. If you don't, the Civil War... He was all that stood between the Confederates and a certain defeat on a battlefield in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. At 2.30 p.m., the 15th and the 47th Alabama regiments started to form and they were going to attack. All that stood between them and taking the high ground was Chamberlain and his 300 men. So here was Chamberlain, and the men stood their ground, and the enemy made a a first charge, and they came in, and they were rebuffed. Then the enemy made a second charge, and they were rebuffed. And the enemy made a third charge, and they were rebuffed. And the enemy made a fourth charge, and they were rebuffed. They made a fifth charge, and they were rebuffed. Now we have to pause here. At this point in the battle, Chamberlain only had 80 men left. Of the 300, he had 80 The Confederates in the 15th and the 47th regiments, they had 4,000 soldiers. A young boy that was a lookout was perched high in a tree, and he looked down to Chamberlain and one of his subordinates, Sergeant Tozer, and he said, Colonel Chamberlain, they're forming rank again. Here they come. Tozer looked at Chamberlain and said, Sir, the men only have one round of ammunition left. That's all we have left, and there are no reinforcements coming. It was in that moment that Chamberlain had to figure out what to do, and he said later on, years later, I looked back and I said, there was no way I was going back there. I was not retreating. I was only one way I was going. I was going ahead. I was going to charge ahead. Here is this man with 80 soldiers left. They have one round of ammunition left. He climbed up on these rocks in full view of the enemy and with a loud shrieking cry yelled, charge, charge, charge. All 80 men charged into a part of history that I'm sorry many Americans know nothing about because in one of the most improbable takedowns, one of the most improbable situations that has ever happened, those 80 soldiers in five flat minutes took 4,000 Confederate troops hostage. And I tell you that story because historians say that if Chamberlain didn't stand in the gap that day and the enemy got the higher ground, the enemy most likely would have won. The Confederates would have won the Battle of Gettysburg. And if they had won the Battle of Gettysburg, it's most likely they would have won the Civil War. One man who stood in the gap and said, charge, 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 no retreats. 30 years later, Grover Cleveland would bestow upon him the Medal of Honor. And this is what Chamberlain said. He said, I had deep within me the inability to do nothing. 
I knew I may die, but I also knew I would not die with a bullet in my back. And I tell you today, friends, you are not to retreat. No reserves, no regrets, no retreat. It's move ahead into your future that God has called. There is a calling on your life. And the enemy is hoping that you retreat. The enemy is hoping that you cower in a corner when life gets really difficult. Yeah, life is tough. But that's where we grow. And I remember one. I remember Jesus Christ. We're entering the Passion Week, friends. This is the Passion Week. And I see when I was in Israel and we were in the area where he went into the temple and he overthrew the tables and he told the money changers and he got them all out of there. I saw Passion when he stopped the funeral procession and he raised a young boy from the dead, there was a, a woman that was going to be a widow and she was going to be excluded and marginalized in society. He stopped that funeral right in its tracks. When there were people that, that were possessed by demons, he took those demons and he exercised them and he said, go back to the pit of hell. There was real passion. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, charge, 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 and he has not called for a retreat. Did you hear what I said? 2,000 years ago, when you look at this table, he said, I'm charging ahead. I'm charging ahead because he saw how much we, he loved us. He saw what it would do, and he said, you know what? It's time, for the, it's time for everybody else. It's time for those that I love to pick up the mantle and carry this. He started a revolution, and it's still going today, 2,000 years strong. They've tried to put this out. You can't put this fire out. Jesus started something that will keep going until his feet come back and he touches the Mount of Olives. This is not going to stop. And the world can try to persecute us and they can try to criticize us and they can disparage us. But let me tell you something. The kingdom of God will prevail. It's going to prevail. It's time for, I don't know what your problems are. I made a commitment last night. I'm charging my marriage. Charge full steam ahead. If it's your finances, charge your finances. If it's your kids, charge your kids. Parents, are, are we just reacting? Or are, we, are we proactive when it comes to raising our kids? Friends, it's time to charge out of this place and realize that we're dangerous. One life, friends. One life. It's the dot and the line. And you know what I say to myself? I, I went to bed last night and I said, marriage isn't easy. Parenting's not easy. Life's not easy. But I have this little minuscule dot. This is my life right now. And what I do with this dot goes all the way across for all of eternity. And all of my decisions, everything I do now, I want to go all out. I want to be all in for the all in all. Can I close with this quote that we have used before? And we're gonna, we have to put it up, uh, Megan, we have to put it up in our house, right? This is a quote, and, and Jen has used this before. I've used it many times. I love it. It's a Navy SEAL. We're called, I want to be a spiritual Navy SEAL. I'll never be a real Navy SEAL. But listen, I can be a Navy SEAL with my marriage. I can be a Navy SEAL in everything that I do. Life is not a journey to the grave with the intention of running safely in a pretty and preserved body, but rather to skin in broadside, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, loudly proclaiming, wow, what a ride. That's what I'm going to say. I'm tired. I'm getting up on Monday morning, but I'm going into work and I'm saying, you know what? What a ride. This is a ride. Lord, energize me. Give me power and passion. I want to be passionate. I want to be more passionate. I want to love them more. If that's you, as you come to this table, I ask that you charge up to this table with whatever it is God is calling and talking to you about this morning. Whatever area it is. But first and foremost, will you surrender your lives? I'm saying to myself, surrender your life. What do you have to lose? You have everything to gain. This is how you were created. 
eternally has been said in my heart eternally has been said in your heart I was created by God to do good things good works to pierce darkness to bring light into areas Lord Lord make us a people that want you Father I ask that you would put a desire in our hearts to want more of you Lord, I ask that we would be a people. Lord, the world has yet to see. Moody picked up that challenge. Somebody that was wholly devoted and consecrated to you. Lord, I ask that that would be city on a hill. That we would be a people fully devoted to you and meeting the needs of this community. Lord, and meeting the needs of our kids. Lord, put this church on fire. That marriage encounter, Lord, it did something for me. Oh, Father, may that spread to all of our marriages. Lord, I want you one more what I have of you right now is not enough may the river flow you put that desire Lord where people are in here and say I don't desire God that's fine I ask that they come up to the table and be honest and say Lord you put that desire in my heart you make that happen Lord I can't make it happen you can make it happen I can just set the foundation Lord help us set the foundation may, you, may we get into your word Lord how sweet your word is I don't know what we do without your word and your stories and your promises. Father, I ask that we stand on your promises. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. Ask, ask, ask. I'm coming boldly. Lord, make us violent. The kingdom of heaven suffered violence and the violent take it by force. Lord, make us violent. Put us in our prayer closets. Make us violent. Make us violent at work as we're praying for other people. Help us to turn the other cheek. visit us at chccny.com.